0: Alright, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck crats? What the fuck publicans? And the what the fuck nicks? Of course, the protest folks. How's it going? What's happening? The is. Did I ever say what the fuckies? Why haven't I not said what the fuckies? I must have said it somewhere. Anyways, how are you? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. I hope you're doing okay. Uh, today on the show, Jason Manzukis. He's a comic actor, and uh, I didn't know anything about him. You can also... Well, I did know things about him. I'd seen him in everything, but then I also know he did the podcast, How Did This Get Made, with Paul Shear and June uh, Diane Raphael. I knew that, but uh, I didn't know what he would be like, but he's a fucking great guy. Fucking great guy. Nice guy. Solid. Present and he brought me a gift. So, right out of the gate, I was like, "Wow, this is all good surprises." So he's on the show, Jason Mantzoukas. uh You'll hear me talking to him in a few. Uh, one thing I did want to say right here at the beginning is I know because of Glow, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, a show which I am on, and I'm still getting um, beautiful and uh, very. Um, I, I'm very grateful for the feedback I'm getting. I, I had no idea. Uh, that it would turn out to be so amazing. But uh, there are a lot of new people here listening to this show. So I'd like to uh, invite you. I'd like to invite you to check out the more than 800 episodes in our archives. Uh, you can start a Stitcher Premium membership today. You can go to com slash WTF and then use the code WTF for 20% off. And then you'll have access to as you, I don't know if you figured it out yet, the most recent fifty are always free. So that means that every episode is up for public consumption uh, for you know six months, and then they slowly go behind the uh, the archive wall, which, as I said, is available at Stitcher Premium, except for the President Obama podcast, which is always available, always a uh, evergreen, and always uh, a bit soothing uh, if you're of a certain ilk so that's there but i just wanted to give you a heads up because i know a lot of you are new to the show some interesting questions coming at me because of my performance in the uh, the netflix series glow uh one that i seem to get a lot is like hey man did you start smoking again did you start smoking again sam Sylvia? your character is smoking all the time and doing blow did you start smoking did you want to do some blow how, how did it feel to do fake blow I you know and people ask me what is the blow made out of? What is that blow? What how do they make fake blow? I'm not sure what it is, but I think it was uh something they added to real blow to make it uh less real. I think it was one of I don't know if it's the, I don't know if it's mannitol or sorbitol or one of them. I don't I don't think it's the one that makes you shit, which I think is Manitol. but it definitely is one of the talls and it's definitely something that they put into, you know, good blow to make it less good blow. So Did I want to do blow that, uh, you know, after, you know, chopping those lines and rolling up that bill and you're taking it out of my pocket and doing a bump out of the bindle with the top of a big pen. That's like, that should be a lyric. I'm doing a bump out of the bindle with the top of my big pen. Pow. That was a, a very mild pow followed by a slight sizzling noise. It would have been much more exciting. But the weird thing is I did not. I did not, uh, I was not nostalgic for doing blow, I did not want to do blow, and I did get a little bit of a drip, but it was a very unsatisfying drip, you know, there was nothing, there was no payoff to going, there, there, just no payoff, no nummies, no, you know, like throat nummies, no, uh, like, you know, little, little kind of like secondary auxiliary bump from the uh, collection of uh, coke goo in the back of your sinuses, nothing like that, it was just the, uh, it was just the action. It was just the uh, the ritual of doing it with no real satisfaction. I believe that the first time I did a little of the fake blow, I did uh, a little uh, placebo jolt from the fake blow. Uh, But no, did not have any desire, which is a testament to uh, sobriety and to the understanding of uh, what it is to be powerless over drugs. Powerless over alcohol, the knowledge to know that if I do this shit again, it's probably not going to stop for a while. It's not going to be pretty, and it's not going to take me any place new or good. As for the cigarettes, did not want to smoke cigarettes again. I, I, it was amazing how how easily that shit comes back to you. It is like uh, riding a bike, <laughs> riding a, a a very dangerous bike uh, that you know that you, you doesn't take any physical activity. Uh, and uh, eventually just becomes a shitty drain on your life. But, uh, yeah, I did not want to smoke. That's partially because I still do nicotine lozenges, and I'm kind of buffered from that. So there's the answer to those two questions. If you have more questions about Glow and the character of Sam Silvia, you can email me anytime. So I haven't done this in a while. I'm going to read a, a couple of emails. This one is for Pride Week. This uh, just says the subject line is Patrice and gay stuff. Hi, Mark. First, thank you for being a true voice out there in this sea of bullshit and lies. Second, Pride Month is coming to a close, and I've been reflecting on my own gay shit lately and the people who encouraged me to come out knowingly and unknowingly. Patrice O'Neill was one of those people. My interactions with him were brief but significant. I've heard you mention him often, and so I wanted to place this story out there in the world just to say thank you to him wherever it is we go when we die. When I was in my early 20s and not out i was an assistant to a comedy manager in new york city we managed patrice o'neill and bill burr and a few other folks for a brief period of time patrice was brand new and my boss knew he'd be big patrice saw me and within 10 minutes matter of fact we declared me to be gay it was innocuous i can't even remember the context it may have even been uh quote so are you going to gay pride he took one look at my dewy eyes and well-coiffed hair and knew I think most people did but he said it out loud it wasn't mean it wasn't hateful it was just a true curious observation I feel no ill will but it left me stunned not because I felt attacked but because I felt accepted even though I hadn't accepted myself yet. I don't know his politics or how he felt about gays behind closed doors. There may even be tapes of him hating on the faggots. I have no idea. What I do know is that it helped me along in my self-acceptance process, that he could be so nonchalant about something that provided me with so much angst for so many years, gave me a moment to breathe and the courage to take the steps to fully embrace myself. After that, he fully farted in the passenger seat of my 1993 Ford Taurus. It was so bad, I had to do a spot check for possible remnants. This was both the blessing and the curse of driving him to a gig. So I wanted to thank him in some way and figured you could deliver the message. It's been many years that I've been out and proudish. Uh, gazed do just as much stupid shit as the rest of us, right? Gays for Trump can suck it hard. That was in parentheses. I have him and other people like him to thank for making the transition much easier. Thanks, man. Keep doing the good work. You do. Sincerely, Tom. So Patrice, if you hear this man, he thanks you. I miss him, man. Patrice was a powerful guy. And uh, man, yeah, he's one of those guys. Him and Geraldo. I, You know, I just some days I'm just like, fuck. I miss him. I miss running into those guys when I go to New York we'll get to Jason Manzukis in a minute but I wanted to read one more email I like this one too this one's got a nice narrative arc to it subject line the other man was you Mark and when you see that subject line there's a moment where I'm like oh fuck what did I do when did I do it and am I going to get killed that's what that subject line did to me the other man was you Mark I was completely ready to be like oh fuck I remember that But I was pleasantly surprised. Here we go. Mark, I have to say my first contact with WTF was shrouded in a curious mystery of who the fuck is this guy and what the fuck does my missus want with him? You see, way back in 2010, my wife and I split and I was staring down the bottle of marriage number two over and done, except different from the first one ending. This time we had a kid to consider. I was dark as all fuck on her for her slight indiscretion. But, you know, I had one, too, that I paid no heed to. I was all about fuck her for this and that. In other words, I was behaving like a typical cuckold ass but anyway you came up because after some months of living in separate homes and lives etc I asked her what she was up to and if there was anyone she was interested in she replied casually I've been getting into Marin I asked who the fuck Marin was and she said Mark and that was that I was livid leaving nothing further explained I spent a few days fuming on who the fuck this Mark Marin was and I was all over the who's what's where's that we go through when building a mental concept of some fucking guy bawling my ex-wife it wasn't until a week or so later i tentatively approached the subject with her of the new guy when dropping off the little boy when she said you were on a podcast called wtf and i should check it out now you became the guy with a podcast that my ex was writing and i thought who's this pretentious twat with a radio show anyway It worked out well as I finally got into checking out the other guy, listening into the podcast, bro, realizing how I'd concocted the whole thing in my big stupid head, and seven years later, I'm still tuning in weekly. And as it turned out, though my time separated was doused in drink, I was listening to the other guy with similar shit to deal with, and you, Mark, turned out to be the guy who helped me get through it. Thank you for that, Mark. My gorgeous ex and I spent four years apart before figuring out we were idiots and got back together and Yes, in some ways, you still are the other guys when we are listening in together or watch your stand up or now watch you on glow. She turns to me and says, Mark is still my silver fox. Huh? Happy ending. Cheers for the years, man. Sincerely, Fabian. That's from Australia. That's a good story, right? That worked out well. I'm glad. Thanks, pal. Glad to help out. So Jason Manzoukas, oh, I mentioned that he brought me a gift, but here's the thing, like, you know, I you know I, I always have people come over and they do these things, they talk to me, and, uh, you know, some of them know the show, some of them have listened to the show because they're going to be on the show, and, you know, yeah, occasionally things people bring me stuff that, you know, they're promoting or whatever, but, but Jason Manzoukas, who I've met a couple times, who I do not know, brought me this record. It was a, a reissue of Mingus Ah-Um, uh, Charles Mingus record. It was a nice... Piece of wax, nice vinyl record. And I had just gotten the original one that was a little beat up. So this one was sort of like, it was some sort of sign that I had to really get into this. And I, he just, you know, he knew I was getting into jazz. You know, he knew I was a vinyl guy. He brought me this record that had a, 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 had meaning to him. And I listened to it and it is really one of the greatest jazz records you know ever. I texted him after I listened to it twice. I said, it's all here, man. The whole history of the whole thing is on this record. And it was just thoughtful and it was very nice. And I had no idea what we were going to get into. You know, I know like you know he's in this new movie, The House, with Will Ferrell and Amy Poehler. It's in theaters tomorrow, June thirtieth. I knew he was on the podcast, how Did this get made, but I didn't know him as a person. And we had, I just, I love talking to him. So this is me and Jason Mantzoukas. Uh Enjoy. <laughs>
1: You're such a music freak, do you have a lot of records? I do have a lot of records, yeah, I do. I haven't counted them, I don't know how many. But like, I, not that it's a, you know, a d- but I a, have okay. a ton of, I also did a thing where at the, like, right like through the end of college and through the years after college, Yeah. I went around and just bought people's entire record collections. Yeah. So I also have like. But just people at school, you're just a guy going like, hey, you're going home, you're taking but, those people records. People at school, but also just like um, at yard sales and flea markets at any place that people were selling stuff. I like, I have, I don't know, probably 478. Really? Just because I bought them all from one person. Now wait, do you house them somewhere? They were <laughs> up until. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Mark. I do. Right now, unfortunately, <laughs> I up until a year ago, I still had my apartment in Brooklyn uh, that I kept all this time, and so it all lived there. Oh, really? It yes, all so, lived in in a Brooklyn apartment. And so then, when people said, "Can I stay at your apartment?" You're like, "No." My not. records are staying there. <laughs> all of my records and, and books are there. That was my big thing when I moved to LA. I was like. No records, no books, clean. I want to live Feels minimally. Feels doesn't it? It does. My house is now full of records and books. It is. Yeah. Not the ones from Brooklyn. Nope. Although those have now made their way, but they're in I a storage
0: to, locker. I had to pull back because, well, the fascinating thing to me is that there was all this stuff. I grew up in a mainstream way, really. Yep. So, you know, I had a couple of people in my life that turned me on to things. Sure. That were outside of the box, but it was, you don't really realize until, for me, until like five years ago, how, how, how small my periphery
1: was. Sure. And there's all this other stuff. I may not like it, but there's stuff that exposure for me is huge. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, the, like I would say one of the most transformative people in my life truly was uh, a guy named Steve Barrett, who I started taking drum lessons from in suburban Boston when I was 10 years old. Yeah. And I took drum lessons with him for until I went to college. Really? So whatever, eight, nine years. Yeah. One of Steve Barrett's rules for taking drum lessons with him is every week you had to show up with a blank cassette. And over the course of the lesson, he would record two albums for you of hit from his record. So you're at his house. Always at his house. Yeah. And so every week I walked away with music. Yeah. And it was from age 10 from age 10 so but his taste was so i'm like a 10 year old being yeah. given like all the king crimson records oh, like wow. all of 70s progressive yeah rock. yeah yeah F- uh, from that to like uh, uh all reggae he got yeah. super into reggae at one point right. so i was like a 12 year old who got obsessed with reggae right right you know like yeah yeah everything yeah. like yeah. My, my record collection what i was my what i was digesting was so diverse it was crazy now when you were doing that it was so you wanted to be a drummer
0: for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you can do for it. Sure. I imagine you're still good I'm at okay
1: it. I'm okay now. Now I'm just fine. You know, like <laughs> I was very good at it yeah. for those years, like yeah. through college, but at uh right like in my 20s I stopped really playing. So when did you like where you grew up where? Outside Boston. Which which town? Nahant, Massachusetts. Nahant. Nahant's like uh, North Shore. Oh okay. um, it's like Like Marblehead? A, yeah, yeah, just before Marblehead. It's like an island off of the coast of Lynn, actually. Off of Lynn. Off yeah, of yeah. Lynn connected by like a causeway. Oh right. Yeah. So it's 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 closer to Boston. Yeah, it's like than, seven miles from than Marblehead. Boston. Marblehead. Yep. And that's where you're born and raised. Born in born in Lynn. Uh, technically, we sure. lived in Lynn when I was born, but very quickly moved to Nahant. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I mean, I know that area from doing stand up yeah. there. So, like, what 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 kind of family? What
1: you you're? What are you? I'm Greek. All I'm Gre- Greek in origin. They're like my parents are Greek. They're all Greek. Yeah. Like, they yeah. speak Greek? They do. Uh, oh, they do. They um. They first generation? My dad, born in Greece, yeah. uh, comes over as a kid. Yeah. My mom, born here to Greek parents. What was, uh, what was the family business? Family business was my dad. My dad worked in healthcare. He worked in hospitals for many years, and then he started his own, as like a very kind of you know um immigrant kind of entrepreneurial he uh owned and operated like assisted living facilities and nursing homes in New England in like the Boston area oh, so a good-hearted guy great oh yeah yeah totally and that's that the that, that my first jobs were I worked as the assistant to the handyman in like a a nursing home you know like that, those like Age 11, 12, doing like painting the railings or whatever. But like, you that did, was my
0: but you're around a lot of very old people, very much, and a they, lot of old people for a long time. And it wasn't
1: scary. No, no, it wasn't sc- <laughs> <laughs> that is like that says everything, does <laughs> <That's> it? <laughs> yeah, that's it right there. Um, yeah, no, it was it was good. It yeah. was like it was like um, an well, interesting. You, well,
0: you seem like a, a
1: well adjusted person. I think so. We, and do you have brothers and sisters? I have a younger sister. Yeah, yeah. She lives in Maine. Has two kids. We're in Maine. She lives outside Portland. Oh, yeah. So, all right. So you're growing up there. Yeah. You're going. Lynn is like
0: Lynn. Isn't that by Cambridge? Really, a little east or like? No, I can't... it's
1: further north. You're basically going know, north up through like Quincy, right? Uh, Revere, oh, north, Winthrop, right, right. Revere, like all those Revere. towns. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, Revere basically goes right into. Lynn. How'd you get
0: out without uh, sounding like that?
1: It pops up. You'll, you'll, there's the, at some point over the rest of the day, you'll be like, there it is. you'll be like, there it the is. A little thing. There's weird words that I'll say. Um, a lot of them are like, I'll say popcorn or hot dog. Yeah, yeah. Which is a very Boston y <laughs> thing. Uh, or it'll come out like with the words like worry or sorry or like people will sometimes be like, are you Canadian? And it's really just like adjusting (laughs) around the accent. I never, also, my parents. No, I'm fighting Boston. Yeah. (laughs) My parents never had solid accents. Like, I didn't grow up in that accent very Mm -hmm. heavily because both my sets of grandparents spoke greek or didn't have that accent and so my parents didn't get it and so i didn't get it as much i got it socially yeah yeah yeah
0: but like i would think in in school like you know yeah it was
1: certainly there i could do it it. Uh, you know i'm sure sure you could do i can do it but uh but no I, i never had it as heavy yeah it really was just certain sounds or certain words it would be like there yeah you know so
0: so when you're when you're going to school there and you so you early on you're like i'm gonna be a drummer i 10 yeah that was your decision
1: yeah well my parents said uh we you you have to take um lessons in an instrument you can choose the instrument yeah i chose drums yeah um and and loved it and was immediately obsessed um with just like every element of it
0: so you go through high school doing that no theater no nothing no no comedy uh
1: no comedy in as much yes comedy um no theater, uh, but it, in junior and senior year, I went. I also like Leslie Stahl, recent guest of the on your show. I went to Swampscott High School um, because uh, my town was too small to have a school system beyond yeah. like elementary school. Really, it was too few kids to support it. Yeah, yeah. Nahant's the smallest town I think in Massachusetts. It's yeah. like a one square mile island. So you knew everybody. Oh, beyond
0: you knew everybody. Island people, that. But it's not like it's not like Nantucket. It's not like Nantucket because it's not a vacation spot. It's not a. But are you really on an island? Are the is there island mentality sort they, of like a little too insulated? Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Oh no, very much so. <laughs> yeah. It's also much smaller than all those other islands. Right. You know, so it's not just small. It's wildly isolated. Yeah. So you it had like. Felt a, like to me, like. As a child, I go back now and it, it could not be a more idyllic Norman Rockwell oh, yeah. kind of beautiful coastal New England town. Right. As a child, it was like a prison. Right. It might, have well, might as well have been like Alcatraz. But, but, like out in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> Why are we you here? can't go anywhere. There is no other towns. There's no stores. There's nothing. But you knew the town drunk. Yeah. I knew, oh, yeah. Uh, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You knew everybody and everybody's business and everybody. It was, it was, that's the town. That's what it was. Uh, you know, it was very much like that. Very Mayberry in that way because it was also. Had a little bit of a frozen in time nature to yeah, it. Like yeah. it was not. There were no stores. Were there, there other no, Greeks? No, no. There were no other Greeks. It so, was all Waspy New England. You know, like I was. Like we were like a minority family. <laughs> right. As 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 Greeks, who are <laughs> European, How do you? European of European your, ancestry. Your
0: last name. Oh yeah.
1: Where are you from? Where are you? F- <laughs> That's my favorite. Where are you from? Where are you from? Jason, where are you Sus- from? Suspect. Yeah. yeah oh, Yeah. yeah.
0: So. But the do I, what about the comedy? Swamp's oh, High so show?
1: junior and senior, year, every the classes would put on a variety show. Yeah, and so me and my friend like wrote all the comedy sketches for those years of variety shows. Uh huh. And so that was for me like, and I was like obsessed with comedy. Yeah. Like I was like, uh, oh yeah, no, I was a kid who was obsessed with uh, like sketch comedy. I yeah. Was, uh, like I listened to like you know the I would mow the lawn to like the first Stephen Wright tape when it oh, came yeah, out. Sure. All those guys right. i was aware of but i i watched snl every yeah. week i was like that when monty python started airing on pbs it was like huge to me yeah you know stuff like that was so it was planted yeah oh that's what yeah, i was yeah. really so that when i got to college i immediately i heard it, I heard it. what got yeah when i got to when go, i got when got, I got when I got to college. When I got, <laughs> when I got to college. Mac. Let, t- let me tell you something, Mac. When I got to college, these college, fucking guys. When, you got when I got college. to college in Vermont. <laughs> yeah. What are you, are you still going to that school in Vermont? <laughs> so, I saw, I was walking down the street in New York City as like in my 30s. Yeah. And a New York City cop goes, hey, Manzoukas. And I was like, oh, fuck. What what have I done? And I was like, oh, maybe this cop is like a fan or Mm -hmm. something. I don't know. But I wasn't really doing much at the time. And it happened to be a kid I grew up with who was a Boston (laughs) cop and was on some sort of exchange. First thing he says is, hey, are you still fucking allergic to eggs? And I was like, wow. (laughs) A, amazing pull. And B, it sounds so good in that accent. (laughs) Um, Did you grow up with that guy? Yeah. Uh He was from my hometown. He was in my Boy Scout troop. That's why he remembered the eggs. He was like, I remember we always used to give you our cold cereal because that's all you could eat.
0: That's a nice story. Yeah, it was it was, nice was, story. we used to kick your ass because you couldn't eat eggs. No, no, no. the really, other way.
1: It really was like people. People would look out for me in a weird way because there was like baked in vulnerability to me as a child, yeah. and everybody knew it. Oh, really? Because I was like, when I grew up, there was nobody else had fatal food allergies. It wasn't as <laughs> predominant as it is now. So, like everybody in my school was aware of it. Everybody in town was aware. Of it. All the Boy Scouts were aware. Of it. So it was as if. It was as if everybody who are all these kind of tough yeah. Boston towny archetypes yeah. were with a boy made of glass, right? <laughs> who they'd be like, "We gotta carry the boy made of glass around. No <laughs> eggs for this, yeah, kid. exactly." Yeah. And then, and, yeah. and then as a result, I become very funny. I think because and they're like, hey, you're funny, yeah, yeah." Well, no, it it is a hardened character
0: there, but you know they are they they. It's it's weird because when I go back up there and I, I spent four like seven years there. Sure. It's very intimidating, but they are a pretty caring
1: bunch. They're very, oh, yeah. you know, engaged. There's you know. tremendous heart in there. Yeah, um, but there is. It is such a gruff demeanor, tough. Yeah, that is trying to hide that heart. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that yeah. they are. You know, it is. It, it, I think it, it's, it's the Irish. Oh, it's a hundred percent the Irish. Yeah, that, that temper, that flare, that boom. You know, like. But also that's sort of like, eh, we're all fucked. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I fucking love you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it is. It, I do love it. I love that. I've, I've
0: grown to appreciate it's it. It's pretty like, great. It's weird when you go back, when you're in something there's a menace to it, at, at least for sure. a period of time. But then when you go back, as you get
1: older, you're like, this is great. Yeah. It, the nostalgia takes oh, over, yeah. and you forget. I get really, and it, it makes me really, like somebody was telling me a story recently about like, oh man, I was just, I did a show in Boston, we were out to dinner, and like these guys at the next table were like, made a big deal about like what big fans they were, and then they wanted a picture, and we were like, oh yeah, can we just do it, we're in the middle of eating, yeah. can we do it when we're done eating? <laughs> and, and it was like, it, it was maybe within 10 seconds I thought I was about to be in like my first fight since high school like the guy was like oh you're fucking too good to take a picture with me I just fucking told you I'm a fucking fan we were at your fucking show <laughs> right and it's like Im- boom and, and, and you, you start to pay it's like the distance between a, co- a friendly compliment and about to get your ass oh, kicked that's who you are seconds. that's who oh, you are you're, you're fucking too good for me yeah right? you're right uh, Mr. Fancy <laughs> Guy oh, here, here. no no I don't need a picture no no you know what fuck, fuck it fuck you fuck it
0: Fuck you. I'll be waiting fucking outside for you. <laughs> you little shit. So
1: did you, were you in a band though in high school? I was. I was in a bunch of bands. I was also in marching band. I was in like the school and jazz band, all the school bands. And then because uh, you could read music, right? I could, yep. Still can I? Still imagine. can, yep. And then, uh, and then I was in like rock bands. I yeah. was in like bands that would be like we would do cover. We would, I was in cover bands that would do like. Did you go in the and play uh, places? We didn't ever. We went and played like all the kind of stuff on the island. All the no, all the all the suburbs of right. Marblehead, Beverly, Salem, all the kind of. Battle of the bands and kids bands and high school—all the punk and hard. It was, it was also like punk hardcore era uh, where there would be. Were you in one of those six bands? bands? I was in. I was in a band that would play like Faith No More style, like right, yeah, uh, Primus kind of proggy. We were yeah, better yeah. musicians, right, right, um, but like super like aggressive. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I was in a bunch of bands. Yeah. yeah.
0: So you go to college, yeah. you, Like you're, you've you've written some comedy, yeah. Some sketch comedy, I high have. school variety show, sure, sure. You've played Primus, yeah. You're ready to go to college, yeah. You got two, you've got two, uh, two great
1: skills, yeah. Now what do you do when you get there? Do you do you get in a band? I what, do. I I get into a band, and I and I get into and I start like a jazz group that I also play with, like a just a straight ahead like kind of you know bebop yeah. group essentially, yeah. um and then um. And then I also join what is like at the time like the college has just started or the people at the college a group of young like a, a group of kids yeah. have started an improv group. Yeah. And so I join that because right it, away it, uh, I try out right away I don't get in until like the next semester. Right. Um ups- yeah. and then become completely obsessed with that. You've never done it before. Never done it. But you got a jazz brain and you got a funny guy. It's all improv. Right. So for me, it's
0: the same skill set, just applied in different directions. Right. But this is a college improv group. So what are you doing? You're doing games? We're
1: doing short form games. Yeah. uh, But two, and it's all the corny, it's all Whose Line Is It Anyway? You know, corny games. Uh, But where it's the first time that I'm ever like, you know, we would do like the variety show in high school or band, you know, concerts or whatever, like to a couple hundred people. But like for some reason, because it was like, I I went to uh, school in Vermont, like small liberal arts college. Which one? Middlebury. Yeah. Uh, But like we would, this improv group would do shows to like six, 700 people for some reason. Oh really? They'd all come out? Everybody would come and watch. Was there nowhere to go in town? Truly, there was not. (laughs) It was a desolate place. (laughs) And so that was the first time I had like, oh wow, yeah, this is fucking huge. This room is enormous. All these people are laughing. They're going nuts. It It was super fun. And then, uh, and then a guy named uh, Rod, do you know Rodney Rothman at all? No. He's a writer here uh, in town, um, very successful, um, has worked on a ton of stuff. He was in the same improv group that I was in. And he went and interned in New York at like, um, at uh, Chicago City Limits. Do you oh, remember right. what that sure, is? Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, I do. I knew and he came back that. with Truth in Comedy, the long form improv textbook, basically. Right. And he was like, this exists. Was I've this seen the, this. Was that the Del Close book? Yeah. Yeah. He said, this, this is the thing. This is it. We got to be doing this. He brought that back to college. Yeah. And so we all read the book. None of us had seen what like a herald was or what long form improv was. And you're what, a sophomore? Yeah. At this point, I'm a sophomore or I'm maybe a first semester of junior year, but I think I'm a sophomore. So this this
0: is one of those moments. It's like the drum teacher. A true epiphany. Yeah.
1: Although misguided because we read the book and attempt to do it uh, on a small scale. We want to do it in like the coffee shop on campus. But it's we are terrible at it, yeah. and it's it, well. What was what, like? What was the challenge at that time? Because I don't, I don't fully understand it. Like, okay, it, so I mean, it's like the difference between like big band and like bebop. Right, like, right. Big band, you're playing the chart. You yeah, know, like yeah. you really are adhering to structure. Yeah, that's like the games. Yeah. Short form games are limited in scope. They are short in in format, and they are a prescribed game. So, the idea of short form games is like. Conceptually speaking, improv, if everything is possible, you are more inclined to panic. Right. And so everything you put on it is to restrict the possibilities. Right. So short form games are incredibly restrictive. so So much so that you really are only improvising a very small element of the whole scene. It's like shtick. Yeah. You're just plugging in joke. Basically. So, short form is like from, would that be an audience suggestion game? Correct. Right. Okay, we need a, yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a non geographic location yeah, and sure. a profession. And, and then now you know you're doing jokes about those two things and, and blah, that's blah, blah, it. blah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Long form is like you're going to get one suggestion. The word is burrito. Yeah, and you're gonna do like a thirty to forty minute or longer, depending show of different scenes, connected scenes, uh, group scenes, all of it that is born of that one suggestion. Yeah, I've seen some of it yeah. at at, at UCB. like Ascad or yeah, stuff yeah, like right. That. And so as a result, you're seeing like something that is a lot more built from the ground up, right? Than it is like right within the confines of a of a game, yeah, or something. yeah. So but when we read the book we were just like okay so i guess so the first part of it traditionally is of the herald is like a pattern game so if you say burrito is the suggestion great so for the first minute and a half yeah we do some the group as a whole does some sort of like idea where they kind of take the word burrito or take whatever that inspires and they examine it for a minute or so just to kind of generate a bunch of information yeah people might tell a story people might whatever it doesn't matter a minute, minute and a half. Yeah. right. Just to yeah. put some stuff on the table. We used to do that for fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah. and it would just be like burrito, yeah. beans, yeah. rice, tortilla, yeah. lunch, yeah. sandwich. Yeah, You're like it, and that. This is what happened for fifteen minutes. And we no were laughs. So serious. You get no laughs. laughs. Of course, no laughs, Mark. We were doing <laughs> nonsense. It was terrible, <laughs> and we did this for a long time. And then I, and then eventually I went to New York and. UCB was just starting, and I watched it, and I was like, "Oh, this is what it was supposed to be doing. It's supposed to be like <laughs> joyful and fun, and not <laughs> austere and like breakfast, <laughs> breakfast cereals, cocoa <laughs> puffs, like, Cap- you Captain you Crunch, do, like a game
0: show answers with no rules." Really, yeah, that's yeah. what it was.
1: It was terrible, but yeah. uh, but that so that started like that process of like improv. Uh, comedy and like that's at that point and then i also ran the radio station at college and those were the two things i cared the most about
0: you ran the radio station yeah like what you were the the manager i was i eventually was the the programming manager manager. yeah
1: yeah, eventually i started out as like the jazz manager then became you know because nobody wanted to do it literally i went to the first meeting (laughs) yeah and nobody wanted to be they they assigned every other position and they were like okay the only thing we don't have is no it's jazz (laughs) and i was like yes yeah and i was like just got to college and they're like okay you you and i was like that's it that's all it takes (laughs) and i knew like i knew some stuff about jazz did you have your records i had some of my records this was the best yeah the best thing that happens at the end of my freshman year the uh the gm came to me and said hey um we have not used our budget for the year and if we get to the end of the year without spending it we have to give it back so here's three thousand dollars to buy records with over the summer and so and i was like what he was like just bring them back with you when you come back to school yeah, yeah. he's like i just need to give this money out so that we don't yeah so i took that three thousand dollars and like the first week i was home i went to tower records or yeah one of the biggest yeah. record right, Bo- right, Boston yeah, record stores, yeah and i bought three thousand dollars worth of of jazz, of jazz. <laughs> and spent the whole summer just crushing it just consuming it, and then brought it all up and it was it was the best summer because yeah. I bought everything. You built their library. I built their library. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. I built their I built their C D library. Which Did you mix t- it up? Did you do a oh, yeah. Yeah. I big went, band? Yeah, totally. You were a I curator. Went Dixieland, yeah. I went from Dixieland and Ragtime, like uh, Fats Waller and all that stuff, all the way through like fusion, uh, right. Mahavishnu Orchestra, all the So you knew you had a job. You were a curator. Oh, absolutely. and, and, and I was very <laughs> responsible. <laughs> I was very nerdy about it and would try and like turn people on to stuff and they'd yeah. be like, I don't like this. Yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> like, that was the other thing is yeah, like I would cool. always like play stuff for people. Like we were looking at your records beforehand and there was a Hoosker Du record in yeah. there. And I remember I got turned on to Husker Du, like maybe eighth grade. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, like, bringing it to, like, a buddy's, like, house and being like, dude, this is amazing. you got to listen to this. And, like, literally, like, that guy then not really being my friend anymore. It's being like, "Yeah, you're I don't into know weird you. stuff. Yeah, yeah. You're into, wrong. like, weird music. And then with jazz, you're sort of like,
0: just hang out. It's only a 15-minute tune. <laughs> and it gets real good. Yeah. It's- the
1: solo is amazing. And that's yeah. the part that people have the most trouble with. Right? <laughs> I don't understand what's happening now. <laughs>
0: But they, they must have been very grateful that you built out their jazz library. So were you on the air fun. late at night or what were you we just? Sundays. Oh. Our
1: our station was all Four day hours? Sunday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then and then as I got further into it, I would just be on air all the time. Oh, really? You know, because anytime that we had holes in the schedule, I would just go and I would just pick a thing that I wanted to become obsessed with or that I was... Slightly obsessed with, and I would just do a deep dive into that thing. Like like, one artist or or hard pop or something. Like at one point, Africa. I became obsessed with like uh, uh, Sub Saharan African music. Like Senegalese music? uh, Mali, Uh, all of it. You know, Fela, all that stuff. Like uh, Afropop, all of it. Yeah. Um, And would just be like, great, this is what I'm going to (laughs) do. And I'm going to do, I'm just going to get into this. And yeah. there's, at the time, no internet. Yeah. There's no research. I just have the library that's available to us and what I can kind of read. Now, did you have any fans of the show? <laughs> when I had my jazz show, this was the best. When I had my jazz show, people, it was, and when I tell you I was like on the radio, like, I, we it was a 100-watt radio station that then became a 1,000-watt radio station. So it reached basically the town of yeah. and the dorms. Right. It was not... It was not like I was out on the air, but was, you were—you
0: were in it though. You but were, I used to
1: get collect calls from the prison for the jazz show every <laughs> week. A guy would call collect from prison and ask for Miles Davis. Yeah, and you play—that's play it. It.
0: <laughs> your one play guy. It. Yeah,
1: <laughs> the one guy. And I was like, dude, this is—I love this absolutely. <laughs> and I was like, even if it's a prank, right? I still love it because I'm um, you you play, you're playing Miles. You want me to play Miles? Yeah. If it's a prank, sure. You knew it wasn't a prank. Though. I don't think it was. It seemed pretty real.
0: So so now, it, so you're running the radio station, you're doing improvs, you yeah. figured it out. You, when you went to New York, though, was that the thing that made you realize, like, oh, shit, this, there, there's a world out here for this?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, at, I'm at that point, like, pretty aware of Second City. Yeah. I'm aware of Groundlings. Like, I know things exist. I yeah. know that there are hubs Right. For this. Right. Um, but I also very much want to move to New York City. <laughs> right. You, I, you
0: you didn't think about Chicago? You, I didn't. you didn't get obsessed with I, Del
1: Close and the whole legacy I of did. that? I did. Like, I met Del Close and, like, I did at the. Um, there used to be a. Like, a Skidmore used to do an improv festival every year for all the college groups. Yeah. And they brought Del one year, like. He you know, was old, Maybe though, right? like four years before he died, three or uh-huh. four years before he died. I mean, probably longer, actually. But not too much longer. Anyway. And he came and uh, and was like uh, predictably Del Close, like a relentless prick to everybody. Yeah. for the whole of it, and right. it was it was awesome. Yeah, you know, it was really cool. <laughs> so he ran a seminar type yeah. of thing. Yeah, he kind of gave notes to people as they did stuff. But um, so I was like very into it. But I came to New York. Um, did you graduate? Graduated. Yep. What was your degree in? Religion. Really? Yeah. Um, in as much as. I needed something to major in. So you put it together at the end. And I liked that department. Uh, I tried being a philosophy major, but I am not a good enough student. And even a religion major. Like when I I did my, I did, I wrote an honors thesis, went to my thesis defense and my professor goes, Jason, his first (laughs) line, Jason. (laughs) You're not a great scholar, but thank God your gifts and graces lie elsewhere. So let's take this and put it aside. I can't give you honors for this. This was not very good. Did you even proofread this? And I was like, Larry, I did not. (laughs) What was it on? It was on religious iconography. It was, when I tell you I wrote it in like maybe eight days Yeah, and it was a hundred some odd pages. It was terrible. He had every right to be like, I'm not giving you offices.
0: Well but it was interesting that you picked like a, a fairly non challenging, non
1: philosophical area. Totally. Like let's look at this this uh, yep. yeah and, and <laughs> pictures. If you asked me now about it, yeah. I could tell you zero. Yeah. I could tell you not one single thing. But
0: there it. It must have been just a, a dearth of information of you know totems and talisman yep. and
1: you know relics and whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, bleeding icons, crying icons, icon, all of it. Yeah, but it was enough that it was enough that it interested me and was within. But here's the thing: I didn't need to do it. Yeah, it was like the arrogance of on my part to be like, "Yeah, I'll fucking write a thesis. Why not?"
0: Yeah, no, I've I've been that guy. Yeah. I I auditioned at Yale Drama, you know, yes. and I submitted a, a photo strip as as my headshot. <laughs> okay, I love that. I <laughs> love that. I get this ace. That's great. These guys, they get it. Uh, um, they don't. You can't, you know, charm will only take you so far. Oh, absolutely. But, <laughs> yeah. but in
1: a great way, like that same thesis, like that, uh, that, that professor who loved me and who I loved and who was like, you're just not, this isn't what you should be doing. Yeah. He also was like, he would be the, he would do, he did this. He goes, at one point he, we would, uh, he was teaching a three hour New Testament class. Yeah. And in the, in the middle of the whole thing, he goes, will you walk back to my office with me? I was like, yeah, sure. And he goes. So I feel like about midway through the class I'm losing them. <laughs> yeah. How do you think I could kind of engage them and get them back on? Tr- He's asking me like performance. Right. Questions. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, let's get into it. <laughs> and I was like, this is what I can do. This I can give you. Like yeah. the rest of it, I'm a mess. <laughs> yeah. But like on a on an actual intellectual level, no. But this I can definitely help. What you, you do? And I was like, I was like, at a certain point, you can't just talk at us you know like at a certain point i think you got to open it up and you have to engage in a way that isn't do we know the material that is more just a conversational break yeah you know because we can't it's not just a matter of like let's take a break and come back yeah like you need to have us engage in the break with you like so that like the whole thing becomes broken down into something that is right so in the middle so
0: in the middle he just out of nowhere goes is there a god (laughs)
1: What is this god? And like business? you see, people be like, "What? What's Wait, going on? What's what, do we, what do we do? Yeah. What do we
0: do now?" They put their pencils down. <laughs> One kid wakes up. Yeah, exactly. What happened?
1: Oh, uh, three hours. Yeah.
0: So, all right. So that you get your religion degree, mm-hmm. and then what do you do?
1: I get. Um, I have a very weird uh, post-college. Uh, for I get a grant. I get a. I get a grant out of college, and I, I live abroad for two years doing a doing an ethnomusicology project. How did Weirdly,
0: that come together?
1: Middlebury is one of the color, like. There's, um, it's called a it's called a Watson Fellowship. Mm-hmm. This thing I got, and it's like a non academic Fulbright. But you of. S-
0: you sought it out. They didn't just. De- I did. You didn't I just- did. Um, so you weren't real clear on what the hell you wanted to do. You no, still like I was deep still. And the- this
1: was this this was the thing that attracted to me. There was like, uh, you. There's a grant that's out there that uh, our college is one of the nominating colleges for. And you have to propose an idea that you think would be cool to do that is not part of your, that you would not pursue academically otherwise. Right. The point of it is they want to finance and fund your kind of experimental year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so I did that. I pitched them a, 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 a project that was, and it was typically like, I'm a terrible student. So my proposal was shitty, but I was charming in the room, right? And so I got it. But th- but this is for the
0: the last two years
1: of college or two years no, after. Two years after. So you really weren't chomping
0: at the bit to get down to New York to do long form improv.
1: I I wasn't yet because this I was like very like very curious about this. I was like somebody will give me money to go abroad. What was the pitch? The the pitch was. Um, it was music uh, that was meant to induce a state of prayer, like holy prayer and union with something holy. So you're drawing on your religion degree. And my music. Right. My music interest. Right. And it was, like, a lot of it was, like, there's a there's there's a jazz pianist named Randy Weston. Yeah. A uh, great uh, jazz pianist. And he becomes obsessed with mer- uh, this music from Morocco called Ganawa music that is this, like... Um, incredibly hypnotic beautiful uh rhythmic trance inducing music that is meant to exercise demons it's very difficult yeah to wrap your brain around yeah. so i find this randy weston album in my kind of uh at the radio station uh <laughs> that you would watch yeah and i was like this is fucking crazy yeah the, the, he's amazing but what these moroccan musicians doing is like wild yeah and so i was basically like i want to go to morocco and talk to these people yeah and i kind of built a project around that as the centerpiece yeah and then wound up going to other places as well but it was all about like music that was supposed to kind of bring you into union with god yeah the trance whatever music. your god the is. the, the
0: transcendental transcendental mm-hmm. music
1: yeah whirling dervishes yeah in Turkey. Yeah. all of it yeah. yeah sufi islam all of it so yeah did, you went to all those places yeah Where, where'd you go um uh, morocco egypt israel and turkey yeah and then I traveled in like Jordan and Syria. Huh? Yeah. That, so that must've been mind blowing. It was um, like beyond like, it truly is like the, this like, it is the, the, I, I genuinely believe the only reason I do everything I do is because of those two years. Like those two years of, I got on a play Their whole thing is we'll give you the money. The only rule is you can't come back to the United States for at least a year. Yeah, and and I landed in Morocco, and with, with what? what just like a, like
0: a Fidors book or yeah, Lonely with Planet? like
1: a uh, yes, a Lonely Planet book and yeah. a a Rough Guide.
0: Yeah, and and um, the and the names of the music you wanted to go find. Yeah,
1: so you had to go to these places. And when I tell you that I'd prepared not at all. Yeah, didn't know where I was going to go. Yeah, barely knew who to be even looking for. Didn't right. know even if they were there. Right. I got there, and a lot of people were like, "Oh, those guys are in Paris." Oh, really? and I was like, "What? The only guys who have to yeah. do it." But Not not the only guys, but I then found other guys, which was awesome. yeah. but I really went thinking like, yeah. And, and i bet people are going to speak english and i got there and I, when i tell you i had like a straight up nervous breakdown yeah i had a nervous breakdown within in the morocco. first three weeks in morocco yeah i lost my mind and what'd you do i i panicked i was genuinely like i don't know what to do i don't know who to talk i didn't i was spending it days it wasn't an existential nervous breakdown No, it was it like was a, a What did i
0: get myself into nervous breakdown. correct yeah
1: I, and i was like and the prison of I can't go home for a year. Yeah, and I don't know anybody. And <laughs> days were going by, and I wasn't speaking to any living person. But you're eating good food. Terrified. Right? Yeah. No, because I'm terrified of food. Food is like <laughs> oh, a, I have such a complicated relationship. Yeah, is with there food. eggs in this? in yes, Moroccan. <laughs> of course. It was terrifying. And so finally, I meet some people, and everything mellows out, and I basically learned to be like a self-sustaining adult. Yeah. You know, in those two years, and that's transformative in who i am and my willingness to take chances and put myself into situations that i'm would otherwise be uh, scared by or uncomfortable by yeah nothing there's nothing Nothing. nothing's gonna happen on stage it's gonna match Morocco. i was arrested in morocco i was put in jail in turkey like i've been like in really sketchy scary places so i'm like you want me to get up and do like an hour of improv and not know what's going on yeah i'll fucking do that what are you talking about (laughs) it's like the easy people are like i'm so scared and not know what what to say (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, uh, uh, that's like the easiest thing. Well, what, what'd you get arrested for in Morocco? Stupid stuff. Oh. Stupid stuff. Like literally I got arrested in Morocco. It's like, for- it's not sexy stuff, but it's like, it was terrifying in it's. Cause you don't what know. Happened. Right. Well, you don't know what yeah, all of a sudden it's like, you're in jail. In yes. Morocco. I got arrested in Morocco for having an expired tourist visa, yeah. which they told me was fine. I called the embassy and I said, I'm, I'm going to leave the country. I, my thing expired. They were like, don't worry. You're leaving the country. They're not going to care. I get to the i get to i'm in um, um tangiers i go to the port i'm gonna get on a boat and go to spain arrested they put me in a holding cell uh and i'm like oh okay i guess at the port and i'm gonna say i'm gonna sign, I'm gonna sign something But aren't you thinking to- like midnight express is about to happen y- y- yes when they load me in a paddy wagon with a bunch of other guys that are straight up criminals yeah i'm like oh this is not good <laughs> and is- i am in prison for like 18 hours uh in a General holding cell yeah and i've got like two thousand dollars worth of audio equipment on me i'm the only foreigner in there and everybody's like hey hey (laughs) hey my friend hey my friend hey hey my friend and i'm just like head down like not not talking to anybody and then i had to wait until they could sure couldn't tell them why you were in there no and i had to wait until they convened like three judges to see everybody's case who was in that room. Yeah. So it just took forever. Right. And it was, and I didn't know. I kept thinking like, well, of course, once they look at my passport and see them, like I would get into, I would be so cool and like, I'm cool. Don't worry about it. The minute I would get into trouble, I would become like the most relentless, ugly American. Oh, really? I'd be like waving my passport, being like, I'm <laughs> <Help> American. <me. laughs> it was awful. <laughs> Same thing in Turkey. Like I got, like we got stopped. We were trying to. Turkey. Was, that's actually where Midnight Express took place. 100%. Right? Yeah. And, but we were dumb. like. I was I was dumb and I was young and so like we rented a car. Who's we? I was with a guy, a guy that I'd met in Marrakesh, um, like a like a buddy of mine oh. who was in the Peace Corps in Morocco. When he finished Peace Corps Morocco, oh, he he went with you. He came and found me in Turkey for two weeks. He yeah. was like, "I'll just come there before I go home and we can travel around." Great. We go to southeastern Turkey. We start driving straight towards uh, like the pkk the the part of turkey that's in a civil war basically right and we're like we because we, we used to do that thing where we'd be like where's the sketchiest place in this country yeah. let's try and go there yeah like we tried to get into iran i tried to get into lebanon like uh, closed countries they like just because because yeah. we were stupid you know well, and you were curious yeah. i guess and you
0: wanted to have the story of course always yeah. wanted the story yeah um uh,
1: but the military pulled us out of our car and like put us in jail for a night and we were like, we're Americans. You can't do this. We were like fucking assholes. Yeah. Assholes. And then there's artillery fire all night long. Right. Huge cannon artillery fire. And right. we are like hor- terrified. Yeah. Terrified. And then in the morning they come, pick us up, and they bring us back to our car. And the, the and only then were we like, they were protecting us. They right. were protecting us from driving into an active <laughs> war zone at night. You idiot. So they held us... For the night and let us drive home. Right. But like, and we treated them like fucking assholes. And they're probably uh, another one, another two Americans. Yeah. Yeah, here we go. Two more shitheads. Uh, But yeah, no, we were were stupid. Well, what'd you learn from the music though? Um, The music was, a lot of it was really, Morocco, I spent the most time in Morocco, seven and a half months in Morocco. And it was really interesting because the music was still, once I kind of drilled down into and found the guys that were still doing it. And earned their trust, and was able to go because basically this music is played at like ceremonies that are meant to be like if somebody's sick, um, it, like whether it's like a cancer or whatever. There is part of. Um, Part of what happens is they will bring in these musicians to and all the songs are associated with different colors and all the colors are associated with different demons. Uh-huh. And so the presumption is that this person who's sick is possessed by some sort of demon. Right. And we're gonna just play music from sundown till sunup until we figure it out. And we're gonna play the we're gonna play and dance the demon out of them. Wow. And so that is the stuff that eventually I would go I would Again, very dumb and trusting. They'd be like, be here at like five o'clock. We're going to pick you up. We're going to drive out to a place and this you're going to see it. And I would get into a car with a bunch of random dudes, drive like an hour outside Marrakesh and go to someone's house and and this would happen. And people would be like stabbing themselves with knives and, and people would be dancing. And it was like dancing in a trance, not dancing like I'm enjoying the music. right? But like it was it was incredibly powerful to watch. It was shamanistic. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Really. And, and you're recording
0: it or you're writing or I would you...
1: not record those because it was not cool right. to record right. those things. But some of those musicians, I would then record just like in their house. Yeah. Just without the, what kind of, what are they playing? What are the instruments? The instruments are just, uh, one guy is playing, uh, what's called a gimbri, yeah. which is like a, a three stringed gut in stringed instrument. Yeah. yeah. um, That um, uh, And then like metal castanets, big giant metal uh, castanets is essentially what they are that are providing just a driving constant rhythm that is unrelenting and exhausting. And
0: they do it all night? All night. And did it work?
1: You would see people like have like truly kind of what seems to me to be like, out-of-body experiences like you would you would because the other thing is they would be playing music for the person who was sick but they'd be playing all these songs so then sometimes you'd see people who were just sitting around on the edges yeah um just like having a coffee or a tea or something and then all of a sudden they'd be like they'd fall to the floor (laughs) they would somebody would they would start playing a a song and somebody would just fall to the floor and then just start kind of having like almost a seizure almost a spasm and you
0: thought it was genuine
1: it seemed genuine. It why, would, why, why would they? Why Why you know. would you just fall to the ground yeah, if no, you're just observing? There's no preacher putting on a shtick. Nope. Nobody's asking for you to do anything. People would just like. Was this part of a religious practice? It is. Um, it is something that has uh, existed prior to Islam in North Africa, but has been Islamized since Islam came to North Africa. Right. So it is. Well, you musicians, they know when they need to keep a gig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah yeah so I, I did that for a couple of years and then came back and moved to new york and right as ucb was starting basically but but like uh, all these different varieties of
0: this spiritual music what did like did you were you on any personal spiritual quest i was did, not but did did it affect anything about your understanding of people in the world in the sense of anything that it, you carried with you or that's a
1: great question it did in as much as it bolstered and solidified my belief that everybody is searching for some union with something. Yeah. And even though all these different people are interpreting it differently and are telling... It's it's not unlike all the religion... The religion department at Middlebury was just a comparative religion department. Yeah. We studied everything. Right. And you just are like, oh, all these tenets are the same. They're just, uh, yeah, you know, different guys. Different guys. It's di- just yeah, practice is yeah, the only difference. Right. Um, and so it was really interesting to be like, oh, it's interesting to watch people process music in that same way. And like, oh, one of the, you know, one of the methodologies to get to enlightenment yeah. is music. Right. You know, just like there's also like Zen monks whose practice is archery. Right. you know that I'm like oh, when I found that out I was like what do you mean archery yeah and it's like that is their meditation sure and meditation is archery
0: and they've incorporated into the religious yeah. spiritual yeah. system
1: and it's really interesting yeah that idea of constantly being I also lived in Greek monasteries for a while and it was like that idea of constantly being in prayer yeah was always was very interesting to me
0: I, I I'm impressed with it but it's it's you've got to the things you have to shut off yeah you know, in order to live that life which is virtuous or or very specific to an any anyway. life yeah but it's like it, it's a tall order oh very hard I, I don't yeah and I I don't I, but pieces of it very compelling no definitely you know? but it's like the discipline of it you know better be enough to make you feel good about yourself yeah yeah
1: <laughs> or better make you
0: not feel
1: anything about yourself
0: lose the ego lose that you yeah know? and connect in you're in direct relationship with god
1: I think so. But I mean like as two people who are only seeking individual glory constantly. Well, that's an American thing in a way
0: I, you know, there, there is something about self-centeredness and, 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 uh, careerism sure entitlement yeah getting you know, what head. about me oh yeah you know uh like but i'm like i'm doing
1: unique things yeah you know that whole thing it, it does why that. why pursue the in- the universal when i can pursue the individual
0: well that shit get wears out dude mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you're like you're at the end of it or, or in yeah. middle age and you're like i got no universal oh yeah <laughs> yeah so now
1: what do i do oh yeah how do i yeah i agree how do i not be a dick yeah <laughs> how do i justify <laughs> my just... existence as part of society as right. part of humanity yeah because you
0: can fool yourself for a long time yeah like i'm contributing
1: are you really though yeah, yeah. that was funny and, like and a... for how long into who yeah exactly. you know yeah <laughs> exactly but it really is like you know and but it then is... there's
0: the other point it's like if you can if you can play miles davis for that one guy who's yeah. locked up isn't that something Wasn't that great yeah yeah, yeah absolutely So now, when you come back to New
1: York, that's when UCB's just starting, so it's like 94? No, it's a little later. It's 97, 98. The new UCB. Yeah. No, it's still, uh, they don't have a theater yet, um, because it's still solo arts, and um, they get the- The first one with 22nd Street. Yeah. um, Right as, uh, in like 98, basically. Yeah. So like within the oh, first year, late, huh? I'm huh? there, right? You know, and it's up and running for a couple of years before it's shut down. So
0: you come back, you're like, a, you know, you're a world traveler. Sure, you've had mystical experiences. Totally, you've been in jail in Turkey and yes. Morocco. Yes, and you're like, you, now you've decided you got what music Comedy. and spirituality out of your system. You figu- a little bit. You got you figured it out some
1: of it. Yeah, and you're ready to to go to the next thing. Yeah, I really am because at this point I'm also like, hmm. I don't know if I'm going to be a musician. I don't know if this is, if I'm, if a, if I can do it and I don't know, but I'm super compelled by comedy, you know, like I'm like really, and at this point I visit New York when I come back before I move, I, I come, uh, cause my friend Rodney, who I mentioned earlier is in New York and he brings me to see a UCB show at the red room, uh, at KGB.
0: Right. Okay. Upstairs. Um, upstairs. at KGB. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I was like this, Yeah. this is the thing.
0: Well, yeah, because like yeah, that makes sense to me because the one thing you have to accept uh, in terms of being a musician, especially with the stuff you were interested in, is like, it's not for everybody. No. And nope. there's something about comedy or about sketch comedy that not only... With a band, you have community,
1: but you have this... You know this active creative spirit, but it's for everybody, yeah, yeah, it 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 scratched the same itch, but was social and and ensemble based in a way that because I was like, I don't think I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. I don't think that's for me. Yeah. I don't think i'm I would be good at it. Yeah, but improv and sketch, i I, I think is my thing, yeah, you know, and then i I started doing UCB. And was immediately like all in on that, like mu- the concept of being a musician like evaporated. So almost the, instantly. the
0: original four were still around and involved. Oh yeah, they
1: were all my teachers. Yeah, they were my
0: teachers. They, Matt this is and when Amy the... and Ian and and, and Matt and, and Matt.
1: Matt 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 Amy and Ian and then Armando Diaz. Did you know
0: him at all? No, I made. I'm sure I met him. Yeah. You see, the thing is, this weird is that like I was around then, and mm. like I just ignored the whole goddamn thing. Of course. Why we mean of course.
1: Well, I mean, like at the time, it was not a venue that would have been someplace you would go. I, but I was
0: an asshole about it. I was like, I'm a stand up. You know, this is what yes. we do here. You I know. know. And then, and then
1: like it, when, New York at that time was a stand up town.
0: Yeah. But then like the alt scene started to happen. Sure. And then that when I was at Luna Lounge, the, the four started bar, right? Was, well, rebar, the original one. Yeah. yeah. But that wasn't for that long before it moved to Luna Lounge. But then the four yep. started doing their bits. Sure. And then other people, the state guys started yep. coming around. Yep. And then you guys were all doing this amazing stuff and we were like, No, we're playing bars. Totally. You know.
1: Oh, and that's and that that's the thing though that York. I never felt that you
0: guys were like, those stand ups got it going on. I, I don't know what the spirit of what, it was. I don't know how we cohabitated.
1: What was really interesting is that like we existed truly, I felt like in those first years like unto ourselves i was not plugged into the world at all. even like the scene the comedy scene i knew obviously what the stella guys were doing or stuff like that but i otherwise i didn't go around and see other people's stuff
0: you were all in i was
1: just ucb it's like a cult it really was and people (laughs) would call it a cult all the time they would oh yeah people would be like oh that place is a cult and 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 i know what they meant cult of comedy but it there was a definite like it was, it was our place and yeah. we were building it from the, like, it was really exciting to be part of a scene from the ground up.
0: So who was in, like, when you, after you learned from that generation, uh, who are my age, yeah. uh, what, how did, what was your crew? Who my was?
1: crew was like the generation that I come up in is that kind of first generation that is like, um, Paul shear Rob yeah. Hubel, right. Owen Burke, um, danielle schneider and donna Fineglass. um kroll K- kroll's younger than all of us yeah so um C- cordry seth morris brian husky i love seth morris john Bowie. i love seth morris He's so funny um and then like john daly <laughs> uh, and gelman gelman yeah. are they're a little younger than us but right. started basically at the same time but they were like kids yeah um I'm trying, like, all that early, you know, like, Helms, blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. Kroll is, like, a little bit younger than us in age, and he kind of arrives a couple years later. Um, he arrives a fully formed comedic wizard. Yeah. Well, him, and then a couple years later, Mulaney follows him because yeah. they were both Georgetown guys together. Oh, okay. Um, and, and then so they that, hook up with Aziz for the human giant? Uh, the human giant is, is actually many years later because Aziz is quite a bit younger. Yeah. Um, and so that whole scene is, like... For the first bunch of years, is just really us doing shows for each other uh, in a, in an old hand job centric strip club on right. 22nd. Street.
0: Where the Hasid's used to come yes. wondering. And yeah. Fleet Week.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? They oh, yeah. all show up? Oh, yeah. Because they heard about Fleet the place. Week. Took a
0: couple of years before people realized it wasn't there oh, anymore.
1: And they would always be wasted. And they'd be like, we want to see the show. And we'd be like at the front because, you know, like in order to take classes. I would work at the the ticket booth, yeah. or whatever. I would, right. I would intern there or whatever, and they would be like, "We want to see the show," and we'd be like, "This is not this is a comedy theater." This is and and they would just go straight in and then come straight out and be like, "What the fuck's going on, man?" <laughs> same the with girls? the same with the Hasidic Jews. They yeah. would all like shamefully kind of go in, and we'd be like, "This is not the Harmony Theater anymore." Yeah. Just you know, but they were so uncomfortable with it, they would just kind of go yeah. in, right. and then sometimes watch the show because they were now uncomfortable to leave. <laughs> And then sometimes just immediately leave. so occasionally you'd have a hassset or two. Oh yeah. oh, that happened for the first two or three years, for, like semi-regularly, um, just because it was such a well-known, apparently bill um, five five dollar hand job. five dollars five dollar hand jobs in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. was the harmony theater. I
0: hate when Jews live up to their stereotype, right <laughs>
1: Yeah, but it was a great like it was a very exciting time. It was also like nobody was looking at us. Yeah. Nobody had agents. Nobody had managers. Nobody had deals. Nobody had anything. It was. uh, Nobody was was on SNL. Nobody had a TV show. Nobody had nothing. We were doing bad shows for each other, just getting better. So
0: you wouldn't even. They weren't pulling tickets yet. There's not people coming. It
1: hadn't.
0: Were you there when it turned? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. when what people started of, getting agents, causes.
1: and when people started getting deals, and when people started getting stuff, it was there was a couple. There was certain people who, like Aspen at the time, was a real launching right. pad for people. Yeah. So people would get a sketch show together, go to Aspen, and get something out. Of You're right, it, agents right. or, and then eventually people started moving to L.A. and getting work. Right, like Andy Daly got Mad TV, yeah, and Donna Fineglass got Mad TV. That was huge, right? Because they were contemporaries. It wasn't like the UCB four having a Comedy Central show. Right. Which was like, yeah, of course. They're like our, yeah. they're like the, the people, elders. They're like yeah. the elders. Yeah. But like when people that we came up with yeah. started doing stuff, it was wild and exciting. You know, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then the internet happened and then everybody, every it, it was it almost like I felt like what happened when Nirvana broke and every Pacific Northwest band got signed. Right. Like when the internet happened and suddenly everybody could put sketches online and suddenly everybody was rep- represented. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody yeah. had deals. Right. Everything was happening. Right. And this, like, it was like a, a a bright light was all of a sudden on our whole scene, which was cool. Yeah. And then the LA theater opening was really, I think, the transformative element. On Franklin. Uh, yeah, that first theater on yeah, Franklin yeah, in yeah. 2005. Yeah, sure. That was a huge moment Right, because the I,
0: I was out here in 2002. I lived around the corner from it and uh yeah it wasn't that's right it wasn't the ecb theater yet it was just place it was Tamron. a place
1: it was the Tamarin theater yeah but they did stuff though yeah. still oh yeah
0: like you could do comedy there mm-hmm. right
1: yep i think so it was like a rentable space right yeah so when did
0: when do you start getting work in the big show business
1: it takes a long time for me to work um I. But now you're like in everything. Yeah, a, a little minute. bit. For yeah, I'm in everything for me. That's right. You're like, there's that guy. Hey, look at him. Yeah. Then... There's that guy. I liked him on that other thing. He was funny <laughs> on this one too. <laughs> he always looks the same. He's very yeah. consistent. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'm lucky that way, I guess. Uh, I, I it takes me a long, long time, mostly because I have a very funny. I get a lot of success early on as part of like me and uh, Jessica St. Clair, uh, who's on a a show called Playing House right now, and who's great. She and I are like a Nichols and May style comedy duo for many years, and we would do a show... We went to Aspen, got agents and managers. What was it called? The duo. Uh, uh, it was just uh, Manzucas and Saint Clair. We didn't have a. a okay. We didn't have a name or anything like that. But Wait, was,
0: so you did scripted shit. Yes, we did. Um, well, that was a weird thing that really came out of that whole thing is that people learned how to direct. They learned how oh, to yeah. write. They learned All how to do it. sketch. Yep. Because it was a full-on
1: community, everybody played different roles, and you had to do it for everybody else. Yeah. So, like, I would write and do my shows, but then I like d- I directed Seth Morris's one-man show, or oh, yeah? I like would do. You know, everybody would do a part in everything. He's you so know? fucking funny, dude. The funniest, right? Yeah, I think funniest.
0: he's so uh, unsung. Yeah. Oh, somehow
1: he has, like, genuinely some of my all-time favorite characters yeah. I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, we used to do stuff with him on the radio, and then yeah. I've had him in my show, two, you know, two different seasons. Yeah. He's just too He's funny. the best.
1: He's really, and he's, like, also, like, genuinely one of the sweetest, yeah. most generous men, like, in the world. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, it's also, like, as opposed to stand-ups, which, is, which has its own uh, uh, social kind of understanding like what was very nice about coming up at UCB was like it's entirely based on support right like the entire ethos of the community that is is the big difference supporting each other
0: with 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 stand-up we're both like we're all like socially awkward it's pretty mercenary broken (laughs) fucking gypsies and
1: while we're full of broken people right there is definitely an element of it which is we're trying to we're helping each other yeah well you know like it's very support based and um, right. there must be somewhat competitive. Of course. Yeah, of course. But still and anytime competition was introduced, some uh, a guy came from Chicago and started teaching at UCB. Kevin uh, Mullaney was his name. And he started a show called Cage Match, which still exists, where different house teams would go head to head. Yeah. and The audience would vote on the winner. Right. Seems easy enough. I hate that shit it fostered such aggressive competition yeah. amongst the like the improv nerds right. that it like almost like caused schisms between them oh, really almost groups. crumbled the it whole was, thing it introduced such chaos yeah. and such vendettas and people like people are still now participating in grudges that exist simply because of one cage match where they felt gypped. oh boy it, it's really great really funny
0: so it so it takes you out. So you go to Aspen it takes with St. Clair. Yeah,
1: go to Aspen. We get a deal at Comedy Central. Did you model it after uh Nichols and May? I mean yes. was it you did. Very much. You so. listened to that stuff. Very much so. I was very into that stuff. Like yeah. those records I love. Compass players. Yep. Yeah really great and that was very because they functioned much the same way we did which was they, they generated their written material out of improv right and so that's what St. Clair and I would do we would we would, we would have an, a regular like an improv show at the theater just the two of us to just improvise yeah and then we would record it and or we would improvise just in a room like in a rehearsal space record it and out of that pull stuff that we liked and then use that as the raw material to write sketches out of uh-huh. and so that's kind of how we worked and that's similar to Nichols and May how and, they worked.
0: and you never took any acting lesson
1: I did. Uh, I did take classes. Uh, at a certain point, I took classes at um, the Atlantic Theater Company in New York. Yeah, that's so like, like extension it's classes. Like
0: antithetical to improv, the Atlantic Theater, in a way, no.
1: It isn't it? Isn't what I liked. It, the reason I did it there is because it it worked with the improv in as much as they weren't focused on any kind of uh sense memory or any sure. ki- none it's of in that. The script. it really is these are the words say yeah, them yeah it is just present tense living presently yeah which is improv yeah you know it's right. just improv with scripted words yeah
0: live presently present tense presently but and make it up listen yeah yeah
1: which was which is the central like ethos of improv which is listen yeah and that's something that is very hard to do when you are panicking because you don't know what you're going to say yeah but like listening was such a is such a paramount (laughs) thing like when you're like uh like you watch did you ever watch wolf hall Uh -uh. the mark rylance show on pbs anyway you this show it's a fine show but mark rylance is like maybe the best actor working currently just like stone cold genius yeah and in the show he doesn't say a lot But he's listening constantly and watching him listen is one of the most compelling performances I've ever seen. Really? So listening was so paramount and we'd been like taught to listen for so long that that was very easy to get into at Atlantic, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was helpful. Like, uh, you know, because at a certain point I was like, ooh, I'm big. I'm too big. Like yeah. when I go on auditions, when I get little jobs here and there, I'm just enormous. Yeah, because I'm used to like sketch and improv broad characters. Yeah, I need to temper this with reality.
0: Well, you did that. Like, yeah, I thought that your role in Enlightened that was a little. Yeah. like you know, I like love a, that role. Yeah, yeah, I like that show. Love. Yeah, love that show. Yeah, really amazing. But you were like a guy, like a real yeah. guy. You regular weren't, guy, regular <laughs> foreign guy. Yeah, regular yeah, guy. right, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you had to learn that. You had to learn how to bring Very it much. down.
1: Very much. And not be, um, always injecting bits or lightness or, you know, like really just sitting in things. Sitting with the feelings. Yeah, really just existing in moments. Yeah. No matter what they are. Right. Uh, And not worrying about filling silences or spaces or stuff like that was very kind of, uh, important for me to learn because I was otherwise predisposed to just... Fill all the space with clever dialogue.
0: It seems that the one thing that happens with the improv community is that you all do each other's stuff. So mm-hmm. you've been on a million things, correct, for a second or two. Yeah, and 100%. then uh, and then you did. Um, but I know that Enlightened was a regular role, right? The League was a regular role. Sure. You did a lot, and you were able yep. to write on that. Yep,
1: yep. And those were that was a good Great. group of guys. Great group. Um, completely improvised show. So yeah. it was like could not be a better show for me and my group of like. Like my peer group who were all on it because it was just our skill set on TV. Yeah. So it was, I'm so fun. Right. That job was beyond fun.
0: And did they, what, they gave you, you got a writing credit just because you were improvising? Did everyone get a writing credit? No. No,
1: I got writing credit only on a couple of episodes that I actually wrote the outline for. Right. So there were, so I play a side character on that show. And then in success, I introduced, we introduced my friend played by Seth Rogen, who's an even more side character. Yeah. And then eventually I was like, we would like to do episodes that are just about us. (laughs) And so every season they would give us a one-off for the adventures of these two monsters. Right. So those shows would be it full of like drugs and murder yeah uh, on a show that is ostensibly about fantasy football so right it was chaos and rogan and i would write those right outlines yeah that's how the this, this show is structured as like a seven page uh, script outline and you met him out here i met him out here yeah through like writers round tables and stuff like that with mckay and those guys uh more with judd and those guys oh yeah yeah so you
0: kind of got integrated into this whole world of comedy out here yeah pretty quickly though it,
1: yeah, I got, I stayed in New York much later than a lot of my peer group. Yeah. They all moved out here. So when I came out here, they were already kind of set up. Right. They were already kind of in the world. Yeah. And so it wasn't, it didn't, it was very easy, not very easy for me, but I was very lucky in the sense that people were like, oh, they're doing a, a round table uh, or joke punch up thing. You should come to it. You know, yeah. because they knew about it, I got, I would get invited and then. I would get on that list and yeah. so the next time one would come around uh, I would get invited yeah. you know and so and you're a good guy and I'm a good guy yeah, and I'm, a good, I'm presence, good at those... you're
0: excited like I don't know you but like you know you're all filled anytime up anytime we run into each other it's, it's always a delightful nice. conversation yeah, yeah absolutely yeah I'm always like yeah oh, there you are yeah when are we gonna talk still you doing know. it <laughs> but no but I think some people are difficult but I think like you not only have talent but you probably you know in a room you're, you're a fun, very fun guy
1: very fun yeah yes very fun and, and, and but also like I'll I'll pitch jokes and I'll also I'm not afraid to be like this doesn't work right like I'm not afraid to be like in those rooms like oh this this is a problem you gotta we gotta fix this
0: but do you find that you know even you know outside of the comedy nerd world that you're still like that there's that guy
1: oh yeah yeah because so like, I get a lot of uh, I'll, I'm, I am I hang around a lot with uh, with Kroll and we will get a lot of this which I enjoy because I like where I am at yeah which is people will be like oh shit Nick Kroll yeah and rafi from the league yeah and i'm like great don't know my name it's better better yeah, way yeah. better Yeah. way better yeah. i can have a life the the thing for me though is i am unquestionably me yeah nobody looks at me on the street and is like is that who i think it is right They're like you're the guy you're the guy but i also
0: think you're that too give or take you know on screen as well yeah. it seems yeah uh, you, you know what I mean? Like, Nick will do some pretty over-the-top shit. Sure. But, you know, you stay within your
1: wheelhouse. I do, for yeah. the most part. You know, there are a couple of things here and there that, yeah. are, uh, that I'm diverging from. But, right. yeah, more often than not, I'm playing some version of a maniac, scumbag, drug-dealing, sociopath <laughs> monster. <laughs> like, some sort of charming monster <laughs> is what I'm doing almost all the time. Well, do you want to do something other than that? I do, and I have. Yeah. You know, uh, just not to the same degree of success. Uh-huh. You know, like the things that I've done that are more normal parts. Yeah. haven't been in as big a things. You know, like what? Um, like I'm in a, a movie called Sleeping with Other People that I think is terrific, um, and I'm. It's like a romantic com. It's like the the pitch for it was. It's when Harry met Sally for assholes. Yeah, um, and I play Sadekas. I play like the Bruno Kirby part. Right. I'm like Sadekas' married friend. Right. And I've got a wife who's Andrea Savage, and but we are super funny. Bickering, but clearly in love. And right. we're, we're parents, and we're normal people. I'm yeah. not a crazy person. I'm like, is that cardigans. rewarding? It's great. Yeah, really fun.
0: Now, is this one the 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 house, the one that I watched most of? Nice. Uh, <laughs> yes, this morning. <laughs> Terrific. Uh, I did. You know, I, yeah, great. I, I. It it is in the world of those kind of comedies. Mm-hmm. You know, but is that? the oh, yeah. It feels like the biggest part you've had in a oh, movie. Oh, by far. I mean, by it's far. like you're half, you're most of the movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's the movie. Really is. Will Amy and I start a casino in my house? Yeah. And that's the movie. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it really is like, it's casino. It's Joe Pesci, De Niro, and Sharon no, Stone. eventually. You know, yeah, it becomes, the, that's the, what it becomes. The, the, the last third of the exactly. movie. That, when that's it gets where violent, it gets pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, but like, it does. Yeah. Like, I don't, you know, it's a weird thing. It seems to be happening
1: w- recently mm-hmm.
0: that the over-the-top violence, that yeah. out of nowhere, yeah. it gets very... Or, like,
1: it, normal people... Juxtaposed with hyper violence, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's just it's recent though, right? I think so. I think it's like it's it's trying to find it's trying to insert extreme circumstances into what would otherwise be ordinary comedy scenarios and violence is. it's one of the jarring. places you
0: can go. Well, yeah, and I think that people have done it before. Like, you know, Monty Python has done it before. Sure. It's been around before. Yep. But there's something about, you know, a big screen movie. Yeah. We're just out of nowhere, you know, that...
1: There's also a thing, though, which is...
0: Oh, like like Sasha's last movie about yep. the soccer guy. sure. What, what sure. was that called? Gr-
1: Brothers Grimsby. Were you in that? No. I was in the dictator. I was in the one prize. That was like a, your big break in a way. It, it, it very much was. Yeah.
0: Uh, but the, but the big the Grimsby movie, like which I saw at a screening at some small facility, <laughs> uh, like I was like, whoa, this is this is over the top. The, yeah. Like some of the the violence and some of the sexuality stuff.
1: What what used to be a very well balanced, like the first within the first seven minutes of Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. There is an, a there's a brutal murder.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. It used There's to, a in crazy the, in the, in murder. the cop <clears throat> movies that used to happen
1: in those kind of action comedies of the '80s. Violence and comedy are like interchangeable; like yeah. both are being pursued all the time. Yeah, to 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 kind of both uh, uh, help the procedural element of the thing and then also the comedy. But
0: in the '70s and and into the '80s a bit, they, you know, the even things that were
1: were comedies, mm-hmm. that you know, people would die, right? Yeah. And now, I think the reason that violence feels so crazy or gone for a while is it, it, because it's gone for a while. And also because it's not being um it's a true juxtaposition. The The ratio is so off now it, when it, the movies now are 90% just comedic. Yeah. And then every once in a while they sprinkle in 10% of hyper violence just to be like, isn't this crazy? Well, there's other genres like slasher movies and
0: the, sure. the horror movies of that course. are just like gratuitous violence that, that often elevate to comedy. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of people, from, sure. maybe not, great people think they're hilarious yeah (laughs) it's coming off and whatnot oh yeah yeah but it's not my cup of tea but like i watched analyze this for like the 10th time on the plane the other day and that's a gangster comedy no one goes down no there's no blood no no one dies everybody's fine and it's an intentional thing there's gunplay but no one No no one no one gets hurt and that's a decision yeah oh yeah so now like that decision is different Oh, totally. But the, the weird thing is, is that I still maybe it's because I'm old or something. There's some part of me that after everything goes down, goes down, that I'm like, well, these these people are morally flawed, yeah, and they're going to pay for it, sure. <laughs> but that that doesn't happen. No, no,
1: no, it doesn't. <laughs> no, were you expecting like an an unhappy '70s ending?
0: Yeah, I don't know. This is
1: not a <laughs> Hal Ashby movie. <laughs>
0: It just it, like I it, there's a point where it's not quite enough that you're you're running a casino in a suburban neighborhood like I've suspended my disbelief to to allow the that premise to occur. That we're
1: basically opening a casino to take all of our friends and neighbors' yeah, money I, I, and I, make I, it I, ours. I, I'm going to let that happen,
0: <laughs> but but once you know real people get hurt and and I'm like, well, this guy's not a good guy. Yeah, I,
1: gonna... <laughs> oh yeah. Oh no. You really if you look too close at it, you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. It's the same thing. I remember with the dictator talking about it and. like doing press for it and stuff and having to be like oh well keep in mind uh, we're playing terrorists yeah (laughs) right. like we're we're playing (laughs) like we're we're funny and all this stuff but like we're we're playing people that are like bad guys yeah you're rooting for bad guys right
0: yeah but you know you all in this movie y'all have these sort of problems yeah you know yours is a gambling addiction and a divorce and theirs is they got to put their kid through college yeah but uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's not meant to be an exploration of the human spirit.
1: No, it is not. <laughs> no, it is not. And that's the thing. Like, if you get on board for that, if you buy into, like, great, they're going to start a casino and they're going to be, like, yeah. kind of morons and, yeah. and violent people, great. If you're into it, it's fun. Well, the other
0: question I had for you was Go. the, uh, what, uh, you, you wrote, co-wrote Ride Along?
1: I did. Uh, well, let me. Uh, I rewrote Ride Along.
0: Oh, so you were brought in.
1: I br- I was brought in. Ride Along was written as a like PG family movie. It Who was, wrote it? Greg Coolidge wrote yeah. it. Wrote it first. Right. And then, um, somebody else wrote a draft of it. Right. And then I wrote a draft of it. And then it died. Okay. And then years later when after i think that what happened was ice cube was funny in 21 jump street yeah and people were like hey he could do a comedy and they were like we already have it it's this yeah and so they took my script uh my they when i wrote it they asked it that it be for uh it was him and they wanted andy sandberg to be the the guy right the, uh, the the kevin hart part yeah uh and so i wrote it for them for those two and then when it came back to life, I had nothing to do with it. But they used my draft and just rewrote all the stuff for Kevin. Right, um, noob guys rewrote it. Yeah. Um, and but because it was my draft that it was based off of, I got credit. Well, that must have been good. It was great. Yeah. It was great. And a lot of my stuff was structurally the movie, you yeah. know. And a lot of the jokes are my stuff. But but those guys uh, did a great. Uh, Man, Freddie and Hay did an amazing job, you know, rewriting it for. For Cube and and Kevin, which yeah, was great. Well, why why is that the only thing you've written? I've written other stuff. I'm like, I'm one of those people that for many years, like, had a would uh, would sell a show, would write a pilot, pilot would get made, not picked up. Right. There's a lot of those. Right. Like my the last twelve years of my life are sure. riddled with those. What about movies? Movies. I'm writing a movie right now for Paramount. Um, I've written a bunch of other movies similarly, some of which have just sat and not been made. Nothing else has been made. Yeah. Um, sat and not been made are still in process. Yeah. Like I've got a movie that I wrote for Imagine that I'm supposed to direct and blah, blah, blah. But it's, again, it's like getting comedy features made is very weird right now. Yeah. Unless it's like and you some big high the, concept And you don't mind the limbo thing. or doing the work and having it sit there? Or do you- it is, I used to mind it a lot more earlier when yeah. I had nothing else going on right and now I don't and it's not that I don't mind it but now I recognize that there is a constant state of flux in everything yeah and so I now am like I have I have my eggs in many baskets sure so if it takes two years for this movie to get made yeah. if at all right at the very least I'll have done these three things in that two years
0: well yeah and you're working all the time do you still actually teach improv
1: I don't no I don't anymore I haven't for since I moved here
0: not even a special seminar here and there no I have that'd be fun though do you do it
1: I do yeah every week I do do a show every week at UCB here on Franklin someone
0: told me they saw you do the best improv they ever saw in their life really yeah it was uh, apparently it was uh, entirely silent
1: oh I know that show (laughs) yeah
0: that you did a 45 minute completely
1: silent improv alone alone yeah yeah, um, I was t- I was supposed to do a show with three other people. Yeah, all three of them didn't show up. Right, and I was like, what well, What am I going to do? I kind of was like, I don't know. This, you know, I've done it in the I've done shows in the past where I've just pulled random people out of the audience and yeah. done a show with them. Yeah, uh, and this show in particular, the idea of it is there's no edits, Right. so it's just one long scene. Usually, it just happens to be with more people. Right, so I was like, you know what, it- it'd be cool. I'll do it alone. <laughs> You know, why not? I've never done that, you know? And because at this point, improvising, like, that's arguably the place I feel most comfortable in yeah. life yeah. is on stage not sure. knowing what's going to happen. Right. It's the only time I'm not crippled with anxiety about the future or yeah. riddled with regrets about the past. Like You have that? I'm just like present tense. But do you really live in that zone uh, I live, off the stage? Off like, stage, I am. I live in a less regrets about the past, although sure. they're there like hyper anxious, uh, future catastrophic future thinker. Yeah. Like I am dread, dread. Yeah. I have fear and dread about
0: all things like uh, coming
1: over here. No, not coming over here. No more of the world. More like more. Like I'm very susceptible to like health concerns. I'm very obsessed with, I'm like a hypochondriacal in, in many ways. Oh yeah, totally. Um, like when you went to the bathroom, yeah, I secretly took uh, Clorox wipes out of my uh, bag and washed my hands. Oh yeah, like just cause. Yeah, it had been a
0: while. My bathroom is a little dirty.
1: No, just cause. Just cause I'm like. Yeah. Brrr, really? Like I'm just like constantly cycling. My mind is constantly cycling.
0: Yeah, but what do you do to stop it? Improvise. Improvise.
1: Yeah, but I mean, or like, medi- I try. I've been trying to meditate. I've been trying to do all of those kind of mindfulness exercises to kind is it of working. In fits and starts, honestly. Because I have Thumbs that too. Goes.
0: I have uh, I have the paralyzing anxiety and dread. Yeah, and uh, For me
1: catastrophic thinking.
0: Yeah, but do you? Are you? But you seem capable of experiencing happiness. Yeah,
1: to but, some degree or another. Yeah, I'm good at representing that I'm capable of experiencing happiness. <laughs> for me so you're a professional yeah. for me like like even here as we talk yeah i am still performing a persona that seems vulnerable yeah you know what i mean yeah. like and i'm aware of that yeah. and i'm aware of like you know like i was having a conversation with with my therapist recently and was like because she was like I was trying to explain the idea of a comedic persona Uh and a comedic persona that looks a lot like I look. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, and she was like, I guess I don't know what you mean. I was like, Oh, I'm going to have to send you something because I have like the most naked conversational relationship with her. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to have to send you something that is representative of who I otherwise am. Yeah. Because you don't actually know that, that version of me that I'm, that I would otherwise
0: talk about. Wait. So when you're with her, you're like wringing your hands.
1: I'm much more like, um, I'm much more forthcoming. I'm much more just, I'm much more vulnerable. I'm much more laid bare. Yeah. Like there is no, I have no, I have no walls, you know, with her. I'm cause to me, I'm like, Vigilantly pursuing Like Growth And And, and understanding With her yeah. In my mind I'm like The faster You and I Connect on this The better The quicker I'm going to Get out of my head
0: But it doesn't work That way necessarily no, Only, only not, in that moment I'm not moment. finding it in, Only in that moment Yeah And Wait, then but, you walk out Feeling like Oh we really did it
1: Yeah and then I open my phone And I'm like Fuck oh, Fuck 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 <laughs> Fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> So you're that guy
0: You're the guy that uh, You know there's probably A couple women Who are like Oof Yeah As, <laughs>
1: yeah i, I you they're, know I, they're I, they're I, out yeah, there i i love them but i had to get out yeah oh yeah yeah no it's no good <laughs> it's no good <laughs> you know women who are like i'm rooting for you but yeah. like yeah. it's no good I I, you, you gotta I'm figure exhausted. it out bro i'm exhausted it, truly right? exhausted is what yeah. they would all say right yeah Ex- it's exhausting
0: yeah it's so exhausting
1: you, to fight with you
0: so you just spin around yeah yeah. You know, like in variations of, uh, of dread, uh, uh anger and, and sadness, fear, yeah.
1: sad, melancholy. I'm uh, prone to fits of melancholy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like
0: all that stuff. So you're sort of like, I mean, I can relate to that in the sure. sense that you just keep throwing yourself into shit oh, yeah. to, uh, to, you know, to, to challenge oh. it. Well, yeah, to challenge it and to defy it, yeah. you, you know, uh, and like, that's the thing about dread. But even as you said earlier that you, you know, that you did all these things, you took all these chances and, you know, certain things aren't frightening, but but there's still this core thing. What the fuck is that? So, like, if you say to me, like, well, I, I was put in prison and I did this thing. I mean, obviously it was limited to what it was. But oh, yeah. But so a lot of things, you know, post that post the experience of having a meltdown, which now that you tell me what you're really like in an hour and a half in that, that in in Morocco, that must have been like a I pretty, really was
1: like, oh, I gotta figure out how to be truthful and honest without just being like too, totally right. but yeah. but so you must have really been freaking out in Morocco truly. like and I was like like a like weeping on the street, right. like catastrophic mess
0: all alone out there
1: alone. so but so you got through
0: that. but yeah. the, but in the same way with me is like, OK, so, you know, you catalog that experience and it should represent something that will uh, you know, propel you to be less fearless in life. But the fear is not about getting up on stage or, or or doing the things that is so frightening to other people. It's just this the quiet of being alone with your own brain
1: I, it, being alone, period. Mm. You know, like yeah. I feel like like the thing that is like the my nightmares like the the nightmares that I wake up like that I can't shake yeah. are nightmares of loneliness. Yeah. Are truly just, I am alone. I am alone in a place that I don't know. I'm alone in the world. I'm like, I have been... I've been, I'm a pariah. I'm a, like, those are the things inescapable or, or, or
0: invisible. Yeah. That's what I get. Oh, is interesting. it's sort of like, if I'm alone too long, it's sort of like, like I regress to this point where, yeah. where I'm just sort of like, no, no, do I me. exist? Yeah. It, not yeah. quite like that, but just sort <laughs> of like, you, you know, you start to forget that you, you, you experience yourself in relation to right. Other people, yeah. an audience or whatever. Well, it's a, so it's
1: a very narcissistic thing of like. For me, I'll be like, if I don't hear from a friend for a little while, I'll text them and be like, "Are you mad at me?"
0: Oh yeah, and I just don't know it. Oh yeah, well that's better. I go right to fuck you sometimes.
1: In a week, you go fuck yourself. Yeah, but then then you've constructed an entire thing that doesn't exist at all. They're they're like, "I'm sorry, my dog was sick." Exactly. Okay. Yeah, or I'm going through some stuff. You could like just reach out and ask me how I'm doing.
0: Right. It is a selfish
1: thing. Yeah. I I don't because I'm filtering it through. Yeah. I'm filtering it through me. Right. So, oh, I haven't heard from my friend in a while. I must have done something. It must be me rather than like maybe, then, they're, maybe then, they've got something right. going and on. And then
0: you reach out and immediately make it about you.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know what I did, yeah. but I hope we're okay. Hey, I hope we're cool. <laughs> yeah, or, you yeah. know, I don't know. Maybe last time did yeah, I say yeah. something? Right. Or, you yeah. know, Over-explan- And they're always like, no, you know, my dad is sick. I'm going through something. Right. And I'm like, oh, oh fuck. I'm, I'm the asshole. I'm an idiot. It's like, oh, right. Yeah. You're supposed to talk to me more. Right, right. Yeah, yeah.
0: How are we going to get better?
1: Yeah. We're doing it right. We're just middle aged men figuring it out. I guess. Like having. uh... Do you have a wife or children? I do not. I have neither. Yeah. So I don't either. So are Are we we figuring it out? (laughs) You have a. You know, it sounds like, just as a fan of the show, it sounds like a very successful relationship right
0: now. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing good. Great. But like, I don't think I'm going to have kids. Yep. I think that's done. And, uh, you know, I have You think that's
1: done because. What what if you've decided you don't want kids? Like, you certainly could still have kids. Steve Martin had a kid when he was like 72 years old. Who did? Steve Martin. Yeah, I know. I mean, a million like, people had kids when they were I, older, But well,
0: I'm not, I don't, what, 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 what do don't I want to be, kids. that guy? Yeah. I, I mean, it's like I'm I'm going to be old. I'm almost tired already. Does she? Well, not really. She doesn't, you know? Yeah. But uh. But like... Yeah. You know, I I don't I don't have the answers to those things that you know sustain relationships in a healthy way sure. that you know that where the compromises are okay yeah. and that like you know it be, because I I get to that anxiety place or I get to that it's not even like it could be better or it could be mm-hmm. worse it's just sort of like ah, it's, is this it yeah is
1: this it yeah or is this it or i get am i doing it right yeah yeah am i doing this well i right? know i'm
0: doing it wrong
1: yeah and <laughs> then that that knowledge is like uh, insidious when yeah. you start understanding that you're doing it wrong and that the system you've created is itself flawed yeah. in a way that can only destroy the thing that you are trying sure. to make and then when you have this conversation with them yeah <laughs> that's right like, yeah they're... and it and then they're like why are you so intellectual about it yeah and or, i'm like well heady. i'm trying to figure this out like it's a problem that we're gonna figure out yeah rather than just being yeah. with you and finding a way to do it together can't improvise in life huh truly it, i mean and i talk about this constantly is oh really i am the best at a thing performatively yeah. that I am incapable of living in my life. I, I, I am an amazing improviser. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm, that's a very arrogant thing to say, but I am a very good oh, improviser You've been doing it long enough to I've say been that doing it very yeah. long. I'm i I'm very right. good at it. Right. And it is living in the mo- listening, yeah. living in the moment and accepting only the enough responsibility for that, which you can provide in that scene on stage or right. whatever. Right. Which is by the way, a great model for living your life. I'm only responsible for that which I can provide to this person or this event or this in my life. Yeah, Incapable of doing that. In life, I'm like, I must be responsible for you and your happiness. I'm in my mind during this being like... Is this a good episode? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Is Mark going to be is Mark going to be happy about this, or is he going to? What's the intro going to be like? Is he going to be like, well, I sat with Jason Manzuk, good guy, good guy, you know, good guy. But you know what? We didn't really get into it at the very end. Tricky, he's a tricky guy. Didn't get interesting until the end. We talked about music. We talked about this, that. And the other. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. He was that. okay.
0: No, you, that's what I would say to my producer <laughs> right after the show. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't intro you like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah but no no, i uh, i i have the same issue like you know having these conversations in here yeah i don't have a fucking social life yeah you know, i mean my chicks you know she's painting over there we sure. go out to eat and it's okay well i but never like, see you around except at music shows which i like well, yeah, I go to some music shows yeah. when I get tickets or I'm invited, but I sure. don't make way to do it. But like, you, you know, like I get to the point where people don't ask me to go to things mm-hmm. really. And I guess there are premieres and things I should go to, but Why? I don't, I don't know, but I used to go out more to the clubs and stuff. And then like lately I've just been like, I, I, I think I'm through the woods with that shit. Well, none of it's, I mean, you should go to what you want to go to. I just don't always know what that is. And the, and the, and the sure.
1: dread will paralyze me. Cause like for me, I'm like, if i want to see a movie early yeah i'll go to the premiere if right. i can yeah you know just to be like because i want to see that movie well i like just saw yours on the screener yeah great <laughs> by the way great yeah you know by the thank you for watching it yeah. you know in and of itself yeah you know a feat uh to get people to watch stuff but uh there's also just too much there's too much but also like that's the big problem like do, don't you ever ask and yourself, la is a
0: home-based life no i know I know that. Yeah, I was just in New York, and I but I get exhausted there, too, and I am I I travel around the same four blocks yeah. in New same York, restaurants, the same all same restaurant, yep. and, I, and I'm beating myself up now, because now do you go like, up when you're out there? I do sometimes, but I didn't this last time, because I've been on the road for months, and I just shot a special, and there's yeah. some part of me that I want to try to feel
1: like I don't have to do it. Sure. And I don't know, like, I don't and know. it can be all of it. Like, you don't have to participate in all of it. Right. You know, in terms of what you're saying about uh, going to premieres or going to the parties or blah, blah, blah. blah. Who cares? No
0: one asks me to go.
1: No one invites me to fucking dinner. Nobody asks anybody to go. Everybody's just like, I got to go to things. I want to go to there. I I always feel like there's a list. Oh, my God. This is so funny. I love it that we are still. What? Not believing that people want us around. You're just, you're doing exactly what I just said, which is like, are you mad at me? What you do it? Yeah, I do it too of like should I feel insulted that I wasn't invited to X, Y, or Z? Yeah. And then you don't want to go to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, and then, because I will say that sometimes to like my manager who's a good friend of mine or something, I'll be like, is it weird that I wasn't invited to this, that, or the other? Yeah. And she'll be like, do you want to go to it? I'm sure we can call and, and right, I'll be like, thing. no, I don't want to go to it. I just feel like, oh, then you should realize I been it? invited or well, not. But like,
0: well, then you start to realize like all those people are just sort of like, I need to go to like, that. We're middle aged men, like
1: we should not care about that. I don't know. Like we're not. I'm only, very close
0: to not caring. Also, not like, only are we middle aged
1: men and we shouldn't care. Like we, we're doing plenty.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're you know, plenty busy. busy. As shit. We're
1: plenty. We're doing plenty. I'm on the precipice of not
0: giving a fuck. Great, you. Great. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: It's certainly about the like um, social kind of uh, nonsense like that. Do you know what you like to do like outside of work? Yeah. I'm like a real creature of habit in that sense. Like I really, I want to do, but it's very like if, especially if it's like I'm going to New York. I want to go to the record stores that I want to go to. Like no, I, yeah, I have I like that errands. I do, to that run I do that too. I do that too. And I just want to walk restaurants, around. Yeah, restaurants. Yeah, I do too that. Yeah. I've got all those things. Yeah. Stores that I want to buy. But clothes it's comforting, right? But then, super, it's like it's all um, soothing,
0: right? But then out of the box, I'm sort of like I want to go Lincoln Center. I yeah, did one right? ex, one experience there years ago where I just stepped in and just saw a Symphony. I didn't know nothing Great. about it. Same happened
1: like, to me with and you had her on your show. I heard something about Annie Baker's play, The Flick, right. And so I happened to be in New York, and I was like, "I'm gonna go see that." Like, uh, we got And so do... I went, and like my mind was blown. Uh, you, I became, became obsessed with
0: her. Right. That's the thing you, we got to keep doing is blowing our minds. I guess. Well, that's
1: and that is what's hard about I think about Los Angeles versus New York is New York makes it very easy for you to like just do a thing, uh, right. like truly like improvise your day and night. Like that's why I love New York because it's you right. Can... You
0: don't go to like three or four places and you get there and you're like, "Why is that person still hanging around?" Is it? There... <laughs> So I want to tell that person to go home. Oh, it's not get gonna, <laughs> to
1: get that guy out of here. <laughs> really? Okay. Is this I what we're doing? <laughs> All right. All right. Fair that enough. doesn't happen in New York. <laughs> no. No, but like in LA, you really are like <laughs> limited. Mm. You're in a night or a weekend, you're maybe doing two things. How's the meditation working? It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I, I it's on me. It's yeah. on me to do it more.
0: When was the last time you went to the doctor?
1: Oh, recently. Yeah. Uh. I was just uh, I go I go to the doctor constantly oftentimes so that he can be like, you're fine. It's nothing. Isn't that weird now? Like, I know where that
0: comes from with me.
1: Like, I like I don't. Did your parents not make you feel better? (laughs) Uh, Here's what it is for me. And I I think this is what uh, what, in this respect, this is what it is for me is. And forgive me, uh, you know, for talking about this food allergy again. But I think because I was raised so acutely aware of my own mortality. Yeah. Because it was so present. I never felt in- invincible. I never was a what, child you had, like you if you ate an egg you'd die. If I ate anything that has egg in it. If I eat pasta, if I eat bread, if I eat anything for breakfast, if I eat anything that has egg as an ingredient, I'll die. I have the same allergy to eggs that people have to like Almonds? Be- bee stings or oh. nuts or whatever. Really? Like your throat will close? Yeah. I like EpiPen in my bag, like anaphylaxis, the whole thing. And as a result, like very like parents very afraid of for me and very afraid to like let go of me made me very not trusting of people not like very like fear-based kind of like if you leave this house don't eat anything anybody gives you don't don't believe anybody that tells you it doesn't have egg like very like rigid my pediatrician the the pediatrician was like it was all fear-based yeah you will die i i remember him very vividly being like I had a boy who had your same allergy and he wanted to have a piece of pizza and he ate it and he died. <laughs> oh my God. And I remember so vividly being <laughs> the piece of pizza. Cause I was like, I like pizza. Yeah. I want to eat pizza. <laughs> how do you know you liked it? Um, because there was a place in my town that didn't have egg okay. in the pizza anyway. Um, but I think for me, like that idea of the incredible, how vulnerable I was yeah. made me feel like doctors know all the answers and I'm, I'm, I'm just fundamentally weak and fragile. Right. And as a result, if this is possible, maybe everything's possible. Right. So I will like read an article or hear an NPR story about like a meningitis outbreak. Yeah. And I'll text my doctor and be like, do I need to be worried about this? Do you manifest symptoms? Constantly. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and I'll tie things together. Yeah. Once I notice one thing. Oh
0: yeah. I'll yeah. systematically sure. go sure. like
1: top to bottom and be like, yeah. what else is up? Yeah. What yeah. else is up? It's
0: all connected. Yeah. And then you can go connect the dots on the Google. Yep, or, or
1: the biggest mistake was, biggest mistake was my doctor let me have his cell phone number so yeah. I can text him. Oh. My doctor who, upon first meeting him, as I was going through all the medical issues that I've had through my life, looked up in the middle of it and goes, wow, you really got a bum unit. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, And then he was the same doctor as a friend of mine who was like, and my friend at one point goes, I don't think he should have said this to me, but he, I was like, hey, you're uh, you're also seeing Jason Manzuka's And yeah. the doctor goes, oh, yeah, that guy's got so many problems. He should be dead by now. I'm shocked he's still alive. And Rob was like, I don't think he should be saying that to other people. But it's mental issues, right? You no, know. physical, like real physical stuff. You do? Yeah. I mean, right. like various, but like, right. yeah. you know, just stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, that's so you're in a constant state of panic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm on the verge of a constant state of panic yeah you know i'm in like a medium right state there. of panic it's always right there it's like though. a full glass and like everything is just hovering to like pour but, more but, into but, it but
0: all it takes is uh you know is a pimple or yep. something on your skin oh or, my god
1: <laughs> the a, frequency a with which in the, a ringing in the ear The frequency with which i go to my dermatologist to be like what is this yeah what is this is oh. this skin cancer is, yeah. what's going on yeah and she's like it's a pimple or it's a hair follicle right
0: well i don't know like you know i was able to sort of get that shit in check somehow because i my my the core of it for me was 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 not the same as yours i don't know how do you think you get that in check don't know no improvise
1: yeah and that and truly like that's like trying to be more allow for more of a present improvised improvised narrative in how I live my life yeah. is what I'm trying to do yeah. but it's it, it goes against everything that I've built yeah, structurally yeah because it's, it's really long form yeah it's, it's like the show's <laughs> hopefully not going to end for a long time exactly and the connections are going to be amazing yeah yeah
0: you just, you just don't know where they're going to come from <laughs> who the players are well it was great talking to you this buddy.
1: was a delight thanks man thanks for having me
0: so that was lovely I really like that guy. I don't feel like playing guitar today because I'm hot, I'm sweaty. I've done two interviews and I've done this today. I'm I'm a little shattered. All right. Boomer lives.